This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong with the pleasure to be alongside Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Uh, Mary, you're doing double duty today. I know, right? I'm I'm a little nervous to be without Sam. No Sam, (laughs) no Dr. Patel, but that's okay. That's okay. We'll we'll be able to get through it because we've got uh, some some great guests lined up today. And we're going to start out with a, a conversation on hearing. And this, I'm sure, hits home to a lot of people. And we're going to get into some age-related hearing loss and best practices. And I've also got on the list here, uh, denial. That's something that I think a lot of us can relate to as well. And to have this conversation, we are pleased to be joined by Stephanie Galloway. She's a doctor of audiology with Assured Audiology and Hearing Solutions. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I think we should start with the basics here. There's so many places that people look when they think they have a problem. I am notorious for Googling and self-diagnosing myself. Um, so starting with the basics, yeah. are, are there different kinds of hearing loss or different levels of hearing loss? Absolutely, there are. Um, and that's why it's important to have a trusted professional help you out with these things because Number one, sometimes it could just be a wax issue, and Mm. we get the wax removed and everything is hunky-dory. So there's different types of hearing loss, different severities of hearing loss, and then there's also different different problems that we may look at that might need more of a medical intervention, and that you can't always do with Dr. Google. So (laughs) there are conductive hearing losses, which would be like the wax that I mentioned, or some people will sometimes suffer from ear infections and they get fluid behind their eardrums. That can cause hearing loss. Um, but by and large, what we see the most is what we call sensory neural hearing loss, where there's a problem on the, the auditory nerve or within the cochlea um, where sound is just not being transmitted as efficiently as it used to. And that's the age-related aspect a lot of times. Gotcha. So I feel like a lot of people think this is something that they can wait on. You know, I'm having a problem. Let me just see if it gets better. Does hearing loss get better over time, or is it something you should get checked out sooner rather than later? So the only way that it could really get better if it was one of those conductive losses, because sometimes there is medical intervention that can be done, whether it's just draining that fluid from behind the eardrum, removing the wax or the blockage, um, but for the most part, the people that I see, it's not going to get better. And the only treatment, there's not a medical treatment, there's not a surgical treatment. So the treatment would be with hearing instruments mm. for those that, that can't get better. Gotcha. So you mentioned denial. I kind of want to go back and touch on that. That sounds like kind of the first stage and a lot of different things. Is there Are there stages in the process of determining that hearing loss really is an issue? It sounds like denial might be the first and is a huge barrier for getting treatment. It is. It is. I have a lot of times I'll have spouses call and we'll talk a little bit about, you know, there's significant other is having trouble, but they don't really realize it. Because with hearing loss, the type that I usually work with, it's so gradual that you're dealing with it day to day to day and you're adapting day to day. It has to get to a certain point 
before you realize, well, maybe I do need to go in. I always tell my patients, it's kind of like when someone's trying to lose weight and you see them every single day, so you don't notice it until it gets to that point where you look at them and say, oh, yeah, you really have lost weight. But if they go away for six months and come back, that's the first thing you pick up on. Um, I worked with an ENT many years ago, and I, I heard him say to a patient one time, you know, if you went to bed with normal hearing and woke up with this loss, um, you would be beating down the ER doors trying to figure out what was going on. But because it was so gradual, people just didn't realize. You know, they don't realize. And one thing that I will throw in here, um, I didn't realize this until I started working in this field. If you have a sudden hearing loss, treat that as a medical emergency. Seek mm -hmm. treatment immediately because if there is something that can be done, the quicker the better um, to get back any of that hearing that has been lost. You know, we've mentioned that before, but sometimes there can be a steroid treatment that can help. Mm -hmm. um, so any sudden hearing loss, treat that as a medical emergency. That's of the utmost importance because I don't think people realize that and they wait. Like you said, they wait to go to the doctor and then it's too late to really do anything. So. Mm -hmm. That's some great sound advice. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm full of jokes this morning. Um, <laughs> and I'll fall for every one of them. If you say, huh, I will repeat myself. <laughs> um, do you have some other, um, what are some other best practices you have for people that are talking to family members of, that are in denial about hearing loss? Yes. So one thing, you know, I mentioned the spouses coming in. One thing that I say um, is a baseline. Treat it as a baseline test like you would anything. So sometimes if they can just get them into the office, I can take over from there. It's that first step though. So I've even had some couples come in and they both get the hearing test mm. because one of them says, well, listen, we need, we need baseline hearing tests. Let's go. So we do the baseline hearing test. One of them may be fine, but that one that's having the issues we finally got them in the door. I can go over the results and it's right there, kind of in black and white, because it's hard to hear things from your loved ones. It's easy and it makes, it drives us crazy when we do it. We've all probably been there. You try to say, listen, you're having trouble. You're having trouble. Get a hearing test, get a hearing test. No, I don't need one. I don't need one. And then they finally come in and somebody tells them, they're like, yeah, I thought I was having trouble. Mm -hmm. And you see the eye roll with the spouse. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, get them in for a baseline, whether it's audiology, dermatology, anything. I think everybody needs a baseline. That's a great point. And, you know, it seems like hearing tests are kind of an optional thing, kind of like a colonoscopy, which is the dreaded and um, definitely an optional thing that many people like to skip since it's not required. Um, and it's not something that's often right. scheduled, you know, on a, on a regular basis. Why is it so critical mm -hmm. to make sure that these hearing tests are scheduled? And how often would you recommend having a hearing test scheduled? Well, if I had my druthers, you know, I would rather test people every year. But some insurances don't always don't always allow that. Um, so every one to two years, if there is a hearing loss, because you want to make sure things aren't progressing. Because you can have progressive hearing loss, or you have hearing losses that I kind of call creepers, where over the years they just kind of creep just a little bit down the chart. So you just want to monitor that, especially if there's a known hearing loss. If you don't feel like you're having any difficulties, then uh, once every four or five years, 
Um, but I always tell people, nobody wants to come see me. You mm-hmm. know, nobody wants hearing aids. It's kind of a love-hate relationship. But when they do come in, so many times people will say, well, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, no, you know, I pride myself on doing pain-free work. So, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is, it's an easy it's an easy process once you get it going, mm-hmm. but um, everybody kind of has that turning point because one of my first audiology professors had mentioned that um, there was a member of the clergy that came in, and his turning point was someone told him um, after a service that you know that a, someone had passed away, and he said, "Oh, that's great to hear," because he didn't understand what was said Mm -hmm. and he was doing what we all do sometimes filling in the blanks or just faking it the smile and nod Mm -hmm. um you know i've done that myself and i had a friend who's an audiologist kind of call me out on it and she was like you didn't hear a word i said did you (laughs) and i was still smiling and nodding and i said no i didn't (laughs) so we all do it (laughs) we all do it but um you know talking about the turning points i've had a patient who said that his turning point was he got in trouble with his grandson. His grandson had said, you know, asked him to do something, and he smiled and nodded and said okay, and he didn't follow through. And the grandson said, now, Pop, Pop, you said you were going to da 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 mm-hmm. And so that was his turning point. And, you know, it, usually when there's hearing loss and those communication errors, it just starts to snowball, mm-hmm. you know. Um, one more story I'll tell you. I know I'm, I'm I love a good story. talking too much, but <laughs> um, I had a patient, and she lost her husband. And so at the time of the funeral, and this is pre-COVID, so we were still able to go, um, but at the time of the funeral, her, her hearing aids were very old, and we'd been trying to get her into new ones, and this is kind of what brought her in for new ones. Um, but then at the same time, too, she had double ear infections. And so somebody said, you know, walking through the receiving line, you know, I'm so sorry that he's gone. I always liked something about him. I don't, I don't know what it was because she never really heard what, what was said. But what she heard interp- and interpreted was, I'm so sorry he's gone. I always liked him better than I liked you. <laughs> and so she just hee-hawed in the funeral home. Because she thought that was so funny and that they were trying to lighten the mood for and that was what she needed at the time. And it caused a rift in that friendship because the other person had no idea why she was laughing so hard. And finally, the daughter intervened and said, listen, mother needs new hearing aids. She had ear infections, too, at the time. She didn't hear anything you said. But that was that was what got her in, finally, to talk about new instruments, improved instruments. So bless her heart, you know. <laughs> Well, those are some great tips. We really appreciate it. Stephanie Galloway, she's a doctor of audiology with Assured Audiology and Hearing Solutions. Stephanie, if folks want to find more about Assured Audiology, assuredaudiology.com is the best place to go to? That's correct. And they can also feel free to give us a call if they want to. Do you want the number? Sure, yeah, you can give out the number if you'd like to. Okay. Yeah, our office number is 919 Seven six two zero three five eight, and we're located in Fuquay, Verena. All right, that phone number again, 
919-762-0358 if you need to get a hold of Stephanie Galloway, Doctor of Audiology at Assured Audiology and Hearing Solutions. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be right back with more. Stick around. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, and we're shifting our discussion now. Um, this is a subject that is uh, is very interesting. We love helping out uh, those who are on a caregiving journey, and we're going to have a discussion about some caregiving books that could help you along the way, whether uh, you know, maybe it's preparation, but we'll, we'll leave it to the expert here, and the person that we have on the line is Sherry Hilton. She's a nurse, and she works with seniors helping seniors. Sherry, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad to be here again. We have had lots of time during COVID. I've been (laughs) stuck at home, shut in and, you know, cooking and I've already run out of movies to watch. So reading has become (laughs) one of my new favorite ways to pass the time now that Netflix is up. Um, I really look forward to hearing with you and chatting with you more about some of your recommendations, Sherry. Thanks so much, uh, Mary. There are so many ways now to get information and uh, as I was thinking about this. Uh, I was just thinking about COVID and how many things my husband's fixed going to YouTube. Uh, everything <laughs> from Keurig, to, uh, car repair for his Miata, uh, the vacuum cleaner. It's been a wonderful uh, year. And even the grandkids, uh, how to make Barbie shoes out of a glue gun. And uh, so why would we need books? <laughs> right. And, uh, and they are definitely a tool in the toolbox. And some books you can't get on YouTube. And some books you like to refer back to. If they're your own, you can underline and highlight them. Um, they're, they're not the answer to everything, but I think there's some books, especially as caregivers, that you know make the cut. When we moved and downsized and moved to Raleigh, you know, you you uh, you shed off another layer. I didn't quite Marie Kondo everything, <laughs> but uh, you know, I kept the husband, I kept the grandkids, <laughs> and kept some books. And, and kept some of the jobs that I like to do with working with older adults. So, yeah, I have, I have a list here. It will be published at the end. If you want to take a pen, I'll try to talk a little slower than my average New York uh, cadence. <laughs> and, uh, we, and maybe at the end, you know, we can review them or point you in the right direction where you can get the list. Wonderful. That sounds good. So kick us off. What, what's your first and favorite right now? Oh, okay, they're not in favorite order because, like children, I don't have favorites. Everybody shines <laughs> in their own way, okay? <laughs> uh, if my kids are listening, um, although, okay, so I won't go there. Now, uh, the first one is a very practical one since my experience has mostly been with older adults and, um, and hands-on sort of thing. I'm going to start with one that is, immensely practical and it's called quick tips for caregivers by marion karpinski and it's out of print now so you have to go to amazon or ebay uh, but it is just what i said if you want to know 
how to get um, item A in and out of the car without hurting your back, if you want to know when mom's in bed, what's the best way to turn her, what, how much fluid should I have per day, how to protect my back, safety tips. This is, they should reprint it, and I'm going to talk to them about it. But anyway, quick tips for caregivers. Uh, second one, uh, again, that is a general, and this, well, I can't say favorite, but um, this is called, this is the second book, The Caregiver Help Book. Um, and it's published by Powerful Tools for Caregivers, which is a course that is still taught here in the area. It's a free course, and now it's online. This is the textbook that goes with it. And, of course, you want to take it with the course, but the book stands alone. It is, everyone tells caregivers, you know, you need to take care of yourself. Uh, put your oxygen on first before the plane goes down <laughs> so you can take care of everyone else. But they don't tell you how to do it. And this is an evidence-based program, and this is the book from that program. It helps you thrive in caregiving by making manageable um, action steps. So something to do for you. It's about self-care for the caregiver. Very practical. Um, the chapters are, you know, things like avoiding negative self-talk. One of the ones people always talk about is, the chapter that talks about reframing things, using some of the concepts of cognitive behavior therapy where you change the tape in your head. So, for instance, your dutiful daughter is always hearing, oh, I can't do enough, I can never please mom or dad, whoever. And they teach you to say, I've done the best I could. Mm -hmm. I've got, she has been safe. She hasn't had a fall since she moved in with me and she was falling at home all the time. And it's, a, it's not wishful thinking, it's reframing glass half full how you talk about your caregiving journey. And it makes a difference. But the action plans are terrific. You start out with something small and manageable. Everyone has a dream that will help them survive. But it might be, I want to get together with my girlfriends from high school. And so you make a plan for that week. When are you going to do it? Uh, nothing planned for, nothing hit. Uh, what time you're going to do it? How often are you going to do it? And first, everyone says, "Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to call three friends and we're going to set up coffee." And so the group kindly pairs it down to something you can manage. And I remember one person said, "Oh, okay. You mean manageable? I'll try to find my address book this week." Mm -hmm. You you break it down and then you build on those successes. And before you know it, people have found uh, something that works for them. But it's uh, a great book, and it helps um, through those transitions. It talks about, I'm just going to do some of the chapter headings, um, family caregivers in the workplace. Some of you listening to the podcast or this, you know, you're, you're working and you're stealing into the bathroom while you're at home now, but just to try to make those calls and take care of your, your relatives, the long-distance caregiver. What about, you know, the... Um, person that flies in like a seagull, doesn't understand the situation, drops their information and goes back home. How are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. Caregivers of children with special needs, caregiver of veterans, um, hiring in home help. What do you do when you have to move to a new place? And of course, the usual driving issues, your mental health. Just it, It's so comprehensive. And it's been around for about, the course has been around about 20 years. 
Number three, now we're moving a bit into uh, dementia, another practical book called Bathing Without a Battle. This is also now free on YouTube, which is great. It used to be a DVD that you had to uh, buy. But Bathing Without a Battle, how do you get somebody, how do you help somebody with dementia who has just a fear of people being in their closed spaces? How do you get them to get a shower, get a bath, stay clean? How important is it in this generation that just sponge bath daily, you know, to really have the daily shower? And it just gives some great ideas, again, practical tips, especially, you know, the, the stuff like using a shower cap that you can buy for $6 at the drugstore that's microwavable. And instead of dousing water on their hair in a shower, which can freak some older people out, you just nuke this thing for 30 seconds, use it once, massage it. It's a rinseless product, and their hair is squeaky clean. I've demonstrated it for many years. But there's things that, that are very helpful. Again, if you're not a current caregiver with this list, it's neat to be able to share the books with somebody you know going through the journey. Um, so for you readers out there or people who just really love to be able to do something uh, for somebody that's caregiving, it just helps they have that information. Or maybe just a quote from the book um, can help. We have a, just a few minutes left. So what are the a final parting yeah. book or two that you have for everybody? Everybody Should Have Being Mortal by oh, Dr. Atul Gawande. I absolutely which, agree. Uh, yes, which is... A standard. You should have that one to um, help you in this medically oriented journey, which has helped extend our lives. But how do we want to live those last last bits of our life mm-hmm. with dignity and the choices that we want to make? This is the best book. It just just should be like right on the coffee table. Mm-hmm. A new one that just came out is um, the gal who was in uh, Father of the Bride. Her name is Kimberly Williams. And her mother had primary progressive aphasia, and she's written a book, and it's very readable. Um, but she goes through all the stages. One, there will be a lot on this list. Understand the pers- new book, a new book for your list, old book, but still in print, called Counting on Kindness, The Dilemma of Being Dependent. And this is a classic work for understanding where the person who's dependent is coming from with lots of great stories. Love that one. Do I have time for one more? One more quick one. Okay. Loving Someone with Dementia by Pauline Boss. She talks about the ambiguous loss of someone who seems to be there physically, but maybe not so much mentally, and how to live with hope and resilience in that situation. There's just a few. Uh, that that's wonderful. Thank you so much for the list, and uh, we really appreciate it. Sherry Hilton, she's a nurse, and she works with seniors helping seniors. You can find more about them online anytime at inhomecarenc.org. Inhomecarenc.org. And if you maybe joined us halfway through that conversation and you want to go back and listen to the full list that Sherry recommends for you, you can go online to WPTF.com. Just click on the podcast button. There you'll find Aging Matters, and you can re-listen to this episode as well as every other episode that we've done of Aging Matters, all online at WPTF.com. Just hit that podcast button. We're taking a quick break, and we'll be back with more. Stick around. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service
purpose of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas representing Transitions Life Care. And last week we had a chance to sit down with two very high profile guests on the show. That was Dr. Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services of the state of North Carolina, as well as Dr. David Kirk with WakeMed. And we wanted to do an encore presentation of those interviews as they are still very relevant and important as we continue the vaccination effort in North Carolina. Here is our interview with Dr. Mandy Cohen. We've been looking forward to this for quite a bit, and uh, we really appreciate Dr. Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, for joining us today. Dr. Cohen, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We know you're, you're super busy. Well, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. First, I'd like to thank you and your staff for all the work that you all are doing across our state to protect our communities and get people vaccinated as quickly as possible. We know that this is no easy job. Um, So thank you for everything you guys are doing. Thank you. Uh, So on that note, um, probably the most popular question you're getting, I'm sure, is how are we doing with utilization of the COVID doses we've been allocated across our state? Yeah, great, great question. So the you know, the good news here is we are getting vaccine out basically as quickly as it comes to us. So our, we get shipments of vaccine once a week from the federal government, and we are getting those vaccines into arms before the week ends and before the next shipment comes. We've actually given out 1.4 million doses of vaccine. Um, and we are certainly not having any sit on the shelf. I know we got off to a, a slower start in the beginning of the January, but that our vaccine providers have roared back. So the vaccines are getting out really quickly. Our biggest problem continues to be just we lack the supply of vaccine. We just don't have enough vaccine to meet the demand that is out there. We know everyone wants a vaccine, which is great. I want them to have it. I just don't have the supply from the federal government. I know folks are working on that at the federal government level. We're getting more, a little more each week, but it's still really not enough. And so that's our biggest problem right now is not enough vaccine. That's a great point you bring up. We keep seeing the promising news of new vaccines hitting the market soon. I myself am in the Johnson & Johnson trial. Can we expect to see more vaccines coming in faster, especially as these new vaccines are released? Well, first, thank you so much for participating in the trials. Those are so important. We know that these vaccines need to be rigorously tested. um, And the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is already getting reviewed at the FDA right now. I think there's going to be a public meeting at the end of February to review all of that data. So we're hopeful um, that we'll have a third vaccine on the market. And the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, as you know, since you were in the trial, is only one dose. Um, and it also doesn't require the freezer storage. So um, we are excited about having another tool in our 
tool belt, if you will, to fight this pandemic. Um, so we are hopeful that by the beginning of March, middle of March, we may have a third vaccine here. We're already getting ready, if you will, uh, for, for more supply. We're onboarding more providers. We're making sure they can ramp up their capacity if we should have those um, additional vaccines come to North Carolina. That's great news. So we hear this magic number floating around of 70 to 75% vaccinated as a goal. What does the timeline look like for us hitting that goal in North Carolina? Yeah, it's such a great question and one that's really hard to answer when you don't know how much vaccine is going to come to our state week over week. Um, What I'd say is we are focused on vaccinating those who are 65 and up right now, as well as all healthcare workers. And the reason we started there is because, look, we knew we were going to have limited supply, and we looked at our data and the advice from the, the CDC. And unfortunately, what we see in our data is that 83% of the deaths from COVID-19 are in those who are 65 and up. So we felt like if we could get vaccine to those who are 65 and up first, and get them out as fast as we can, that we will make a dent in fighting COVID and make sure that we're having less people die of COVID or get hospitalized from COVID. So that has been our focus. But then we know there's so many more folks we need to get to. Um, and getting to, you know, 70 or 80% of our population uh, vaccinated, we know is going to take some time. I think it's going to be well into the summer um, until vaccine is more widely available for all North Carolinians. So we still have a ways to go. Awesome. So many urban residents we are seeing are driving out of town to smaller communities because they're better able to get appointments there. If the system allows for such, that's okay. But are they are they creating a barrier to those who live in these smaller communities and maybe have less access to the vaccine? So we know that in our agreement with the federal government, these are these are a, a resource paid for by the federal government, which means they're free to all of you, um, which is great. But it also means we can't restrict from jurisdictions. But I want to um, emphasize, you know, our team shared with me this morning, you know, I, I asked how many folks are really going across county lines, and it's really just about 14 percent. So really a pretty small percentage of the total are actually leaving their county to get vaccinated. I think we hear about it a lot, but it's actually the real minority. Um, Most folks are getting vaccinated close to home, which is good. Um, And folks are saying, well, are we vaccinating people out of state? Less than 1% of our vaccine, 0.1% has gone to anyone outside of, of North Carolina. So we're doing a great job of getting our vaccines to North Carolinians. And frankly, folks are getting vaccinated close to home. So all that is good news, which is why we're continuing to allocate to all 100 counties, because we know folks are getting vaccinated close to home, which is good. That's great news. So a big gap in vaccinations that Dr. Patel and I are seeing at Transitions Life Care is our minority and higher at-risk populations. Are there specific community efforts underway to reach these communities? A great point. And what the governor has continued to articulate is that we need to make sure we are vaccinating quickly and equitably. And we have um, we spent actually our entire press conference yesterday, the governor and I, talking about how we are approaching vaccinations from an equity perspective. And there's so many ways in which we're doing it, but it starts with getting vaccine to every community as well as well as working with providers who serve those communities. We also set aside additional vaccines to our counties that have higher um, populations of those who are African-American, Hispanic, Latinx, or um, American Indian. 
And we also use some of our uh, doses of vaccine to support specific events that can reach our underserved communities, whether that's partnering with churches or doing mobile units or setting aside um, appointments. Um, I think we're doing a much better job. If you look at our data, which you can on our dashboard, you can see our race and ethnicity data at the state level and at the county level. And what I'd say is we're, we're get, we're, I'd like to say we're the best at getting better. Um, we were about 10% of our vaccines were going to those who are African-American three weeks ago. Last week, it was 18%. So we've made a big jump up, but that's still not good enough, right? African-Americans represent 21, 22% of our population. So I want to see week over week that we're, we're vaccinating at least, if not more, um, African-Americans, at least 21 or 22% of our vaccines going to our African-American community. I think we have a lot of work to do still in the Hispanic Latinx community. We continue to see extremely low rates of vaccination in that community. So that's going to be a particular area of focus of ours going forward. One final question for you. What are your hopes and expectations and dreams over the next couple months <laughs> as, we, as we manage this pandemic and, and hope to turn the corner? Well, I think it is incredibly exciting that the scientific community has given us two vaccines that we are able to get out. The fact that we have 1.4 million doses in arms is amazing. Um, and so we have a new tool to beat back this pandemic, which is fantastic. We see our trends moving in the right direction, terrific. Um, I do think that there are some cautions out there. One is, as I keep saying, vaccine supply is low, so it's gonna take us time to protect everyone. So until we're able to get to uh, a place where there's vaccine available for everyone, those three W's are going to be with us, waiting six feet apart, wearing a face covering, uh, waiting six feet apart, washing your hands. Um, so the three W's are going to be with us for, for a bit, but there is hope on the way. Uh, vaccines are here. I'm excited about this new uh, potential third vaccine. Um, and thank you again for participating in trials. That's amazing. Um, so I'm hopeful for the future because we have these new tools. We just want folks to know to be patient for the next couple months with us. Um, and we will make sure to get vaccine to everyone. But I think it's going to be the summer until we're able to do that. We've had the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Mandy Cohen, the Secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Cohen, thank you again so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule. We really appreciate everything that you and uh, everyone at the department is doing. We, we really appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much, everyone. Stay well, and I really appreciate the time this morning. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Don't forget, you can always find more about Transitions Life Care online at transitionslifecare.com. 
Org, transitionslifecare.org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and our uh, special co-host today is Dr. Laura Patel. She's the Chief Medical Officer with Transitions Life Care. And we've got uh, another guest on the line, and that is Dr. David Kirk. And we're excited to speak with him as he is the Associate System Chief Medical Officer for Wake Med Hospitals. And we're going to get an update from uh, the Wake Med side of things. Dr. Kirk, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Dr. Kirk, you've been super busy, we all know. Um, thankfully, we haven't been in the who is saved and who isn't position, it feels like, in this state, um, like we've seen on the news a bit with rashing of care. Um, but we did see a little bit of that on the news, and we are want to share with our listeners, what are things really like right now across your health system? Is it getting better? It, it, it is. We're kind of coming out of this surge, uh, and it's good to be able to catch our breath a little bit. Luckily, we've not had to ration care as other hospital sus- systems have, like uh, Los Angeles County was the most recent one in the hospital a few weeks ago. Um, our biggest limitation has been resources. Um, hospitals depend on thousands of items coming in every day. And when the supply chain got damaged from this pandemic, we had to kind of deal with that. How are we going to handle when things uh, don't show up on our back door? Um, so we pulled together teams. Uh, we've come up with uh, great ways to navigate that, um, including 3D printing supplies, reaching out to NC State for supplies, inventing things. Um, and through this way, we've um, kept our staff out of having to improvise personal protective gear like you may have seen um, in other states. Um, we never want to see nurses using garbage bags for PPE, for example, and bandanas for respiratory equipment. We've avoided all that by really taking a team-based approach and an innovative approach. Uh, we've had everything that we've needed to keep our patients safe, everything we've needed to keep our staff safe, and certainly has kept us from having to rationalize, uh, ration care um, like many other unfortunate organizations have had to do. Dr. Kirk, we know that WAGMED is such a key hub for the community to access care. Can you talk a little bit about the treatments for COVID-19 and and how, if they've improved since the beginning of the pandemic? I know we've learned a lot, and I know WakeMed has also been a leader for some of the newer treatments like the monoclonal antibody infusion. So we'd love to hear what's going on in that space with you right now. Absolutely. So we have several wonderful treatments now available. The first is dexamethasone. It's a steroid. It's been around for a long time, and we know with COVID, it greatly improves outcome in hospitalized patients who need oxygen. So for us, as as part of the ICU team, that's been a great weapon for us to keep people out of the ICU. The second is remdesivir, uh, which has been widely publicized. It's a daily infusion that hospitalized patients get, and it directly attacks that virus. So it's part of that initial trying to put out the fire. And then the most exciting recently, as you alluded to, is the monoclonal antibodies. Uh, These are artificially produced clones of our body's natural immunity. It directly attacks the virus. Uh, You might remember our previous president received this therapy. It's a one-time infusion. It should be used uh, as soon as possible in the first few days of symptoms. Um, We have, as soon as it became available to us from the state, we have uh, set up an infusion clinic here at Wake Med. We've now supplied uh, this therapy over over, uh, 600 patients now. Um, We estimate that that's kept uh, 60 or 70 patients out of the hospital through these infusions. Um, It's primary use is in patients who are high risk of complications from COVID, and this includes all patients over the age of 65, as Dr. Cohen alluded to. 
Um, it's a drug released under emergency use, so the balance between risk and benefit will be unique for each person. Uh, so that's really a personal discuss discussion between uh, a patient and their provider. Um, but if you have symptoms, um, you should talk to your provider as early as possible um, to see if monoclonal antibodies might be an option for you. And then, of course, prevention uh, beats treatment any day. So as Dr. Cohen alluded to, getting the vaccine and protecting yourself with masking and social distancing um, is better than any of these new p potential uh, and, and therapies that are out now. Uh, protecting yourself before you get infected is the most important thing. That's great. We're also seeing um, this idea of hospital at home coming up and being talked about more. Is, is WakeMed doing this? And are you man how are you managing people with COVID at home maybe who don't aren't sick enough to be hospitalized? That's a great question. Uh, we are doing hospital at home. Um, that's a good option for people who are kind of in that borderline that we would traditionally put in the hospital. Um, and when people are um, less able to get out and uh, follow up with their regular doctor, this is a great option. So basically we bring the care to them at home. Um, one of the most important aspects of that is checking their oxygen levels. We know that with COVID, some patients have this hidden drop in their oxygen levels. And by us frequently checking on them, we're able to, uh, ch to check their levels. Um, the other great thing about hospital and home is it's been able to keep some people who don't have COVID um, who need hospitalization. It also allows us to keep close eye on them. So as our hospitals get filled with COVID inpatients, it allows us to kind of decompress the hospital and keep some people safely at home who otherwise would need a traditional hospital bed. So some listeners could be put in a situation where they need urgent care and are concerned about going to the emergency room. What new safety measures do you all have at WakeBed in place um, through the pandemic and is going to the emergency department safe? Um, absolutely. And COVID-19 certainly made our emergency rooms busier. Um, however, people being scared to go to the regular doctor visits and ultimately getting sicker and having to go to the emergency room or urgent care has also made uh, those uh, much busier. So I do want to stress keeping up with those regular appointments, keeping in with your regular treatment team is very, very important uh, to keep you out of uh, trouble and requiring the emergency room or urgent care. But if you really need um, emergency room or urgent care, it's one of the safest places in the state to be. Everybody who enters our system for any reason is screened with a temperature check. They're asked all these different questions about potential COVID symptoms to make sure that people with COVID um, are not brought into the system. All patients are tested before procedures. All patients are tested before being admitted to the hospital. So there's not that hidden infection area. Uh, people who um, may have the infection but be asymptomatic, that pre-testing makes sure that those people don't get into the hospital and in the system. Everybody's required to wear a mask. All employees wear high-grade medical masks. Uh, we've modified our waiting areas to make social distancing as early as possible. Um, we've also limited visitors to decrease potential exposures. We've worked with our cleaning crew to, uh, to add additional cleaning protocols, disinfection protocols, to make sure that anything you could potentially touch, touch within our organization is hygienic as possible. And then as extra caution, all of our COVID patients are treated in special areas, often with special airflow. So this makes sure that everybody in our hospital is safe as absolutely as possible. Our hospitals, our clinic, our urgent cares, our emergency rooms are extremely safe, much safer than going to the grocery store, much safer than almost any other public area because we follow the CDC guidelines. Uh, we are 
big believers of the science, and we're big believers and uh, have really learned on how to keep everybody as safe as possible. That's great information. Are elective procedures still on hold, and what really qualifies as an elective procedure? Sure. So we briefly paused elective procedures in March and April. As the initial rolls of the pandemic was coming out, uh, we wanted to make sure that we could absorb that blow. Um, What we figured out is when you delay cases that people um, get sicker from that. Um, So us, along with every other hospital in the state, has really uh, worked hard not to shut down their operating uh, uh, suites. Um, The overwhelming of all overwhelming number of all of our procedures have continued. At times, we have had to temporarily delay cases if the hospital is full and we anticipated the patient would need to stay in a hospital after surgery because we wouldn't want to do a case and the patient not have a bed ready for them. But when the beds are super tight, what happens is our surgical teams all come together each morning and they, they discuss every case with a kind of fine-tooth comb uh, to see who would be the safest to delay. It's really, really rare that we've needed to reschedule patients. However, when we do it, we want to make sure that we do it as safely as possible. So, for example, someone that might have a life-threatening cardiac issue, we would not delay that. Um, Somebody that might have a concern that they might have cancer, we wouldn't want to delay that because sitting at home wondering if you have cancer or not is such a huge stress. Uh, But if there's something that can be managed and patients are put at very little discomfort at home, um, they've been very open to waiting a few days to make sure that we can get them in um, and make sure we can get that that case done as safely as possible. Yeah, that is quite an undertaking to coordinate, and we appreciate your efforts and your time this afternoon. He is Dr. David Kirk, Associate System Chief Medical Officer with Wake Med, and you can find more about Wake Med online anytime at wakemed.org, wakemed.org. Dr. David Kirk, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. We've got to get out of here. We're out of time for today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I am Jason Kong, thanking you so much for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.